service coordinators. This is Dan Berger and Tara Wanger with the Service Coordinator Podcast. This is episode number four of the Service Coordinator Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in today. Um, like I've always said before, please subscribe to the channel or like it, leave comments, leave reviews. That just helps us out. Also, let us know if there's uh, any topics you guys want to, us to cover. Um, out there in service coordinator land, um, and also maybe you guys want to share some stuff with us that we could share on the podcast or have you guys as a guest. So, um, so let's get started. So today, um, we are very happy to um, have Michelle Norris. Michelle has been with National Church Residences for some 20 some years so far. I don't want to say the whole number, but um, <laughs> a long time. And uh, so we brought Michelle on to kind of talk about service coordination at National Church Residences through the years. And uh, Michelle, welcome to the show. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us kind of uh, what you're doing today at National Church Residences. Great. Well, you guys, thank you so much for having me part of your podcast. It's a great idea. I love it. And um, I'm just really honored to be here. So thank you. Um, so my name again is Michelle Norris, and I serve currently as the Executive Vice President of External Affairs and Strategic Partnerships. Um, pretty broad title, um, so I do a little bit of a lot of different things. Um, but yes, um, and I will say, I will confess that I have been here 28 years, will be 28 years in December of this year. So um, it's been a great career. Um, and you know it's been a very interesting career for me um i had i did not know this organization when i got here i literally answered a blind ad and um back then it was a much smaller organization than it is today as you can imagine we probably had about 100 communities at that time compared to now where we have about 350. so we have grown i guess i would call that exponentially since um, i came um, and it's been really fun to be part of such an amazing growth organization. Um, just a real quick kind of my path here. Um, I started as director of finance. Uh, so at that point, all of our financial departments were put in, were in one space. So whether it was our seniors living side or our affordable housing side or our parent company, everybody was in one place. And so I oversaw all the financial people. But after about a year of doing that, I had come from finance and I did this for about a year and then I fell in love with the work we did. And I wanted to be more engaged in the work. It's not that I don't love accountants, they're wonderful people. <laughs> um, but I realized I wanted to be more directly involved. And so I had the opportunity to work in the property management side. Um, within a couple of years, I became the head of property management and did that for about five years. Um, spent a lot of my years here in our development team, uh, running the development side of our organization, which has now also taken off like crazy. When I started development, there was probably about four people in our development team. And now under Matt Rule's leadership, there's probably about 30. So we are going big in terms of development. And then um, after that period of in development, um, I went over to external affairs where I run the, our public policy, our public relations, our philanthropy, volunteerism, our chaplaincy program, and a couple other things. So um, <laughs> it's really, it, it, it's a fun place to be because what I say is we're the good news people. 
We get to hear the good news, we get to share the good news, we get to write the good news, and we get to bring it to the rest of the um, world, so to speak, and tell them all the great news that is being, all the great things that are being done by National Church Residences. Great, well, so speaking of good news, so what what is the good news as far as when you look at service coordination at National Church Residences, you know, started back with, I don't know, maybe we had 10 service coordinators running around just kind of doing their own thing. Um, you know, that was close to 20 years ago. You know, even when I came in 15 years ago, it was kind of service coordination was kind of pushed to the side. It was kind of a little bit of an afterthought. And then through the years, you know, maybe the last 10 years, it's really become about housing with services. Service coordination has become a huge deal in our organization. How have you seen that? Um, obviously, Tara and I are in the support services department, but what was the look like uh, outside of the support services department um, for you? Yeah. Well, um, actually, Tara and I were comparing some notes ahead of time, and it dawned on me that um, service coordination at National Church Residences started one year before I got here. And so, um, and I know, two, I remember two of the people, Carol Kramer, who was, I believe, our first service coordinator, yeah. and for whom our Starfish Award has was named. And I just, I remember the first time when we gave that to Carol, it was, <laughs> it's such a touching thing. But anyway, so I digress. Um, but then, of course, Marsha Jones, we were talking about, mm -hmm. who was our second one, and who's still here. So Marsh and I are gonna like keep running until they kick us out. I think that's the answer. Um, so you know when when so your your question about how has it changed? Um, you know it has really been a a privilege to watch it mature. I guess I would call it a maturity of the program. So originally, you know we we were as assertive as anybody, just like we were really assertive around the two hundred two program. National Church Residence is one of the biggest developers of the HUD 202 program, and we've been involved in it for 40, 50 years now. Um, service coordination, when it came out, it came out as part of, and like what I would call a new accent to the 202 program. And our CEO at the time, Tom Slemmer, he never did anything small. If it was out there, he wanted to do as much as possible. He wanted to be a leader. And so he was a leader in the 202 program. He was a leader in the policy work that advocated for both the 202 program, the development of 202s, as well as the funding of the service coordination program. So, you know, I think that's one of the things that, again, I've been here long enough and I've kind of studied under Tom Slemmer. I can really appreciate that his leadership and vision around both the 202 program and service coordination really is what allowed us to grow both to scale. And we are at scale compared to almost everybody else. So it's, it really is a pretty cool thing to, to realize. I, we have a big number. We have um, almost somewhere between three and 400 service coordinators that we either are in our buildings or in somebody else's buildings. That's a lot compared to the one that was here in 1992. Totally, yep. totally. Yeah, and, and you know, we work with a lot of clients and you know, I think the next biggest client with service coordinators might have 40 or 50 service coordinators and so it's yeah. it's just crazy to think that you know we have this number and i think it does go back to tom back in the day when it's like go out there and get as many service coordinator programs as we possibly can and boom 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 right and grants and all that stuff so it, right. it's cool, cool right. to see where it is right now and uh Definitely. yeah so tara did you have a question for michelle yeah yeah i was wondering when you think about so obviously you do a lot with policy work and those sorts of things 
Um, so I wondered if you could share with the service coordinators who listen um, the ideas or kind of um, top of mind uh, issues when you think about policy work and service coordination, mm -hmm. what are the things you're advocating for? Yeah, well, let me uh, start with, um, before I say what we're working for, I'll tell you how, how it is that we can. And the yes. way we can is because there's two things that we have. We have real stories of amazing professionals who do incredible work. And so stories always are so important. And, you know, I wish I had, this is the one thing I wish I had more time to do is just go out and hang with people and, ha and have people tell me some of the cool things or amazing stories that they have been part of. As a matter of fact, um, you're welcome to push out my phone number or email. <laughs> if anybody says, oh my gosh, I got a great story, they can send it to me. Um, so stories are really important, but data is also important. Um, you know, I try and remember if it was, my memory's getting bad, but 10 years ago that we started CareGuide? Um, we started CareGuide in like 2013. So not quite okay. there yet. Not quite there. Yep. Um, so not eight, nine years ago that we started yeah. CareGuide. When we started that, again, it was like the aha moment for the industry that service coordination is not just a nice add-on, but impactful impactful in ways that they could pay attention to. And so I think that, that that the service coordination and care guide have brought more people to the support team of service coordination. Um, you know, whether that's inside our organization, from our board, from our partners like managed care organizations, um, that more and more people see the value of service coordination because whether it's because they think the personal stories are important or because they realize the data is important. So I would just start with saying both of those are so great and they really helped me do my job. <laughs> um, and so I wanna thank you guys for your leadership in both of those. That's so what are we advocating for? Um, you know, I think that there's a couple things. One is to constantly show that the value is so important. Don't ever think about unfunding um, this program. Um, and HUD, you know, always needs to get educated because a lot of people in HUD don't really understand the program. It's kind of, it's often its own little space in HUD. And so um, there are a couple people like that are, have understood it for a long time, but we're constantly trying to re-educate them and having data and stories is the way to educate. Um, but in addition to that, the biggest thing I think we're really trying to work on is what do you do for the folks that are not in the HUD 202 building or a project-based Section 8 building? So we go to the example of our tax credit properties where there is no service coordination solution for our tax credit properties. And there's no long-term sustainable solution for them. So right now it's um, very much, we're doing it in very creative ways to try to bring the value of service coordination into our tax credit buildings. But we want to make that a program that's as dependable as it is in the 202 program. So it's probably one of the biggest things we're doing is advocating to sustain the 202 funding, the service coordination inside of HUD buildings, and also to try to bring it to tax credits because more and more tax credit senior buildings are being built. And now a bunch of them are 20 years old, just like HUD 202s were when we introduced the, the service coordination inside the 202 program. So 
speaking of the tax credit, so, you know, the 202s were lucky enough to have the service coordinator HUD grant program come, come aboard. And then, you know, if a service coordinator, if you can't get a grant, you can get written to the property's budget. So we're a tax credit communities, you know, is it close to that or I mean, is it still something that we're just trying to like, hey, guess what? We should probably put service coordinators in these buildings too. Is it, it are we at the still at step one or is it moved to step two or getting anywhere? Yeah, well, it is getting somewhere in that more and more. So again, you can't go to HUD anymore right. to that single point of contact and say, we need to think about this. You have to go to 50 states and say, <laughs> right. um, hey guys, this is really important. But more and more states are seeing the value of housing and services. They don't necessarily say housing and services equal service coordination, but it's not a bad, it's not a hard leap to get them there. Yeah. Um, so, so the first thing is to get them to show that see the value. And again, because of all the great data we have in Care Guide, we can sh show that and then say you too could have this kind of um, information and outcomes if you had service coordinators and prioritized it. Now, the struggle is, where's the money come from? Mm -hmm. Because in the tax credit world, there is no subsidy that can underwrite the value of that service coordination. So um, what you really have to think about is where are the less traditional sources of money? I don't think it's really going to be long-term sustainable if the only place we go is to the cash flow of the community. I think we're gonna have to find the value that is so prevalent for um, the third parties, this, which I would, I would deem is the healthcare side, mm -hmm. that eventually, you know, my biggest dream, I'll tell you, Dan, this is a dream, it has, it's probably step one, maybe it's pre-step one, mm -hmm. is that someday HHS is going to align with HUD and they're gonna say, if it's a senior building, we're gonna figure out a way to bring value and we're gonna bring the money that's necessary to put service coordinators in every congregate senior building. Well, that'd be nice. Let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, let's let's tell you one other thing about that is that they may say, too expensive. You need to think about ways to do a do that without having a person in the building the whole time. Can you use technology? Yeah to make, bring it, but not have to have it always be a human living inside the building. Yeah. Right, right. So when you think about policy and advocacy, obviously our organization is large enough that we're blessed with a lot of ability to have resources and expertise focused on that. But some of our listeners may work for really small companies or be you know, one of maybe two to five service coordinators at their company or something like that. So when you think about what a service coordinator could do to lend their voice. Mm -hmm. Do you have some kind of mm -hmm. tips or ideas that you could share? Yeah, um, first of all, that's a great question. First of all, make sure that your owner, the owner of your community is engaged in the value. Um, if the owner isn't seeing that value, um, that's your first step. Um, and I assume that that's probably a pretty easy step. Um, also, does the board of that community, um, each of the owner boards, um, have appreciation and understanding of service coordination? If not, offer to go in and do a learning session with the board and prove the value at the local level first. 
And then the third thing would be um, leading age, which probably many of those um, buildings that they work in are members of leading age, which is a national advocacy organization out of DC, but has chapters all through the country. Um, they are a huge uh, supporter of funding for the service coordination program. So make sure that you're tapped in there um, as well, because the power of the multiple voices, you're 100% right. It's not just the big people that can make an impact. It's, you know, all of us when we join together. Thank you, thank you. So kind of uh, my last question for you, Michelle. So, you know, we see there's this huge shortage of affordable housing for seniors in the country. Where do you see this going over the next 30 years of your career? I mean, you're just, you're in your first 30, so. <laughs> yeah. So where's the next 30? What, what, how do you see this? I mean, looking back at where housing for seniors is, you know, gone the last 30 years, what, how do you see the next 30 years? Mm. Well, there's <laughs> definitely there's definitely a shift towards more people thinking about senior housing. Um, you know, even since five years ago, the conversation about we're getting to be an older country is dawning on more and more people. Um, you know, it used to be a rumbling, and now it's a cry. And more people are saying, my goodness, what do we do? How do we manage to care for all of our seniors? And it's not going to be a single answer. We know that. Um, we are going to continue, I believe, to be um, aggressive. I think the country is looking at dedicating more resources to doing more affordable housing, not just for seniors, but for communities at large, you know, fam multifamily, supportive housing. There are more and more um, conversations at all levels of, of government about how do we find enough funds to help bring more units online. So I think we will enjoy seeing a continued um, growth of affordable housing being produced. But no matter what, we know that that answer will never get us fast enough the number of folks that will need it. We will always be coming from behind. So the thing I love about the Service Coordination Program is that it is not something that has to be tied to a building. And we've been experimenting with that, as you guys know, and you guys are leading. We've been experimenting with how do you take a service coordination model and make it agnostic to where somebody lives? Do you have to live in affordable housing? No, you could be somebody who's been living in your home for 20, 30 years and you're still living there. Well, how does that look? And I think that model is one that is so key for many, many communities. And so I think we'll see more of that coming along. And then lastly, technology will absolutely have to be a part of that answer. I'm really excited about uh, the work we did with this Rapid Response Service Coordination Program that we launched during COVID as a way to try to bring service coordination resources into buildings that didn't have them telephonically. So um, I just, I see that this is, um, this is a great um, opportunity for us to continue to lead and be innovative in our models and not get stuck with saying, if HUD can't pay for it, we're done. Agree, agree. Yeah, and my, my last question, social work background, get ready for it. Okay. Um, when you think about the heart side of the work we're doing, we've talked a lot about a lot about more of the data, the vision, the strategy stuff. When we think about the heart of service coordination, affordable housing for seniors and all of that, what would you say keeps you connected to the heart of that or, or what has driven you, you know, someone dedicating their career to that work obviously is very tied to it 
in terms of their passion. So can you let our service careers know a little bit more about what drives you? Yeah. Um, well, I'll start by saying one of the things that drives me is the energy and constant amazement of how many people that are way younger than me anymore are in this, in have joined our organization and how many of them as service coordinators come in and stay. Um, there, it is amazing to me to see people that are in their 20s and their 30s and they've been here already five years or 10 years because they love what we do. I get completely jazzed when I get to hang out with them. It's one of the things that's really hard for me during COVID is not being able to get out to see our communities as much as I was or going to our conferences, just hanging with um, the energy that comes from the collective dedication that I see in our service coordination team, like our other, um, like our national conference. The energy is infectious for somebody like me who spends a lot of time in an office or reading a lot of documents. So um, anytime I can get out, and even by Zoom, y'all want to just invite me to a Zoom meeting just to let me feel it. Um, I'll take it anytime. And then the other one is um, truly about some of the stories. Um, some of them can be amazingly touching. Some of them are incredibly energizing. And some of them hurt my heart just, you know, where we've had somebody that has just given so much to a resident in a way, in a very difficult time in their life. And so um, I just, I feel like I live vicariously through you guys. So I appreciate you bringing me along. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. Um, now, I've been uh, around a while and you're definitely one of the most respected folks I've seen in the industry um, from not only this organization, but anytime, you know, I meet somebody new outside the organization that, oh, I know Michelle Norris, you know, every <laughs> so tell her I said hi. So, uh, so thank you so much for coming on. Thank I know you. you're very busy. Um, so we appreciate your time. And uh, for everyone else, uh, remember, please subscribe to this podcast yeah, and leave a I comment. Will, I so yeah, yeah, you better. Gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you, Tara. And uh, you guys take care. We'll see what we do next time on the next podcast. So thank you so much. Yeah.